Well, hey, good morning, good day, everyone. It's just uh, good to be back. We're talking today about planting cover crops in December. Are you crazy? And that may seem that way at first glance, but I think by the time I'm finished here, some of you may want to pull your planters back out if you have an opportunity, and I can't promise you will. But uh, there is, there is indeed some openings to try to plant cover crops in December. So that's what I want to discuss today. Uh, and before we started here, someone was asking about this picture. This, ex- this picture here was taken about 10, 15 years ago in South Dakota. Most of you know or heard of Dwayne Beck with Dakota Lakes Research. So uh, he is the one who gave me this idea. So I want to credit him for that. And this is a picture that he had uh, actually planting. This picture was, was like the week of Christmas uh, that, the, that this was being planted. And, and it was spring wheat. In their case, they grow spring wheat. And basically, they were getting it in the ground essentially what you could call a dormant seeding. So this is where the idea came, where I got the idea. So credit where credit is due. So there's um, always we seem to run into a problem of getting everything harvested in time to plant a cover crop in the fall. And so this is going to open up a window of being able to, to do that. And uh, as you see here, sometimes it gets late to be able to harvest, and sometimes it's too late to harvest. Uh, just you didn't have time for whatever reason uh, to plant a cover crop, and or too wet is another reason. You just can't get in there to get your either your harvest off or to get your uh, cover crop planted. So obvious barriers out there uh, in being able to do that. But how can we take advantage of some time to be able to get a cover crop planted? So this idea of planting here, it can be even more than December. Some of the tactics I'm going to share can be doesn't have to apply totally to December. And, of course, there's a lot of ge- geographies, regions represented here. So, as you know, most of my comments tend to be directed toward I'll say the Corn Belt or the, the, the more the center part of the U.S. So you're just going to have to kind of interpret some of this to your own region. And some of it is not necessarily calendar specific, but I wanted to use December here as a kind of a launch pad to go off of today. So uh, the, this planning window can be wider than that. And then another perspective that I feel is important to understand is that for cover cropping, to get cover crops established, typically November is the toughest month to do that for a large part of the area. It's it's um, And a lot of that has to do with you're getting too late for it to grow anything in the fall to actually survive the winter. And in the context of what I'm going to tell you, it's too early to plant a lot of things that's going to sprout, germinate, and then survive. So just a little bit of perspective in, in what my approach is here. So 
most of us are totally aware cereal rye can be planted virtually any time you can get the seeds in the ground. It is clearly the toughest seed out there. And I would encourage that if you have uh, uh, time, any time in the month of November, any time basically up till February, we'll say, that you can get cereal rye in the ground, it's going to be worth it. Now, not necessarily if that happens to be fields that are going to be planted first, but you can kind of manage so those fields may be planted later to give that cover crop a chance to grow then in the spring. And I've, um, I literally have seeded cover crops every month of the year. Now, I'm in southeastern Pennsylvania, and it certainly doesn't happen every year that that can be done, but I've done it. And so it is, it is possible. Uh, so the, the key is when that time comes that you are prepared. And that's why we have in this topic today. And so, um, the, the challenge with some of these species, and I'm going to list the species later on. I'm just going to say now the challenge is you, I'll just use peas, for example. Peas is a large seed. You plant it now. In December, it's probably not going to survive. It's just going to rot. It's not designed. It can't take the the long time in the soil without germinating. Uh, obviously, we discussed hairy or we discussed cereal rye, but I'm going to mention the hairy vetch is one that's now could be planted because it's a tough little seed and it'll stay in the ground and 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 probably come up uh, in the spring. Now, there's a little few caveats to that, uh, and it does vary according to region, and I want to explain another perspective here in that when we talk winter hardiness, we had a topic on that. You can go back and uh, and look at that, get that in the website, and uh, and watch the webinar, Winter Hardiness. There's, there's two distinct characteristics of winter hardiness when you apply it to cover crops. Number one is the ability of that selection of cover crop to withstand freeze-thaw cycles. In other words, you have a, a warmer time and it may germinate, then it gets cold, then it gets warm and it may grow a little bit, then it gets cold. So there are some species that are more adept to that. They can withstand freeze-thaw cycles. Then the other major component, what we're more familiar with, is cover crops that are just simply able to withstand cold temperatures or wind chill. You see, plants are like people. They are affected by, of course, temperature and wind chill. We know what wind chill is and how it can make a big difference between uh, tolerable and also totally not tolerable, or in the case of cover crops, uh, that you could have them die because of wind chill. Uh, whenever I see someone touting their winter hardiness of a given cover crop, uh, I'm always suspect and always have a lot of questions to ask because if they say it's winter hardy down to zero degree Fahrenheit, I have a few questions. One is, obviously, was there snow in the ground or not? That is a huge, huge difference. And uh, they're, they're, they're really misleading if they don't, if they say it survives at zero and there was snow in the ground. That's, that's a, total misrepresentation of winter hardiness. But there's a difference between zero degrees Fahrenheit and zero degrees with 30 mile an hour winds if it's bare. 
So these are some of the questions you can ask when you're asking about this, and also in the context here of what species can survive. And then, not to belabor this very much, but when you have mixed species or where you have actual ground cover or residue from a previous crop there, that can also aid somewhat in the wind chill factor. So there are a lot of variables into this, but I want to share how that you can plant some species here uh, in, in December. And the reason I say November is the toughest month, because in case you happen to get a warm spell where a cover germinates and then it gets cold, then that's the toughest that's the toughest thing to occur for that cover crop to survive. Now, if you have a, uh, if you're in a northern region like the Dakotas, like Alberta, where Andy's from, you typically, um, and maybe not so much with Andy, because I know the fluctuations a little bit in Alberta, but typically it gets cold and it's like cold all winter, typically. So you can place a seed in the ground, and this is what, uh, Dwayne Beck was based on you put the seed in the ground it's essentially like putting it in a refrigerator and it's just kind of locked in there nothing's happening and and then it warms up in the spring and it's ready to go so that's the idea behind that now uh, I just want to tell you a quick story uh, and this is from actually Dwayne who is in South Dakota he had some lentils that had done very well in South Dakota and had good winter survivability. And I wanted to try lentils. I had never tried them before. So I got 100 pounds of seed from him thinking, if it survives South Dakota, it's certainly it can survive southeastern Pennsylvania. We don't get near as cold. Planted them in the fall, an appropriate time. I believe it was the end of September, beginning of October. They all winter killed. And we talked about it, and, and uh, we thought, you know what? It's because of my freeze-thaw cycles that probably killed it. So we tried it again the second year, same deal. They winter killed. So just because something survives in a colder climate doesn't mean it will survive in a warmer climate per se if the freeze-thaw cycle part of this is a factor that enters in. So that's just some background here of, of my talk today. And uh, now I want to go into, okay, here is the opportunity to plant in December. What are the right conditions? Well, first of all, um, maybe I should have put that bottom point there in the top, but if you have on frozen that is dry enough to plant, well, that's, that's easy to do. That doesn't happen very often, but, yes, it occurs once in a while. So that's a condition that, of course, is going to work. But the tactic that takes a little bit of management and paying attention to the weather and also knowing your fields is when the ground is slightly frozen. Because typically this time of the year, if, it's, if, there, if there hasn't been a frost in the ground where it's, you know, one to four or five or a foot or two deep, uh, you're gonna, the ground is going to be muddy and it's just impossible to plant. But when it's slightly frozen, uh, basically getting down to maybe 25 or 20 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. In the morning, you can go out and run a few hours. But it's not frozen to the point where the colders will not penetrate. In other words, if the ground's frozen an inch thick, your colders probably won't penetrate through that. Now, what's interesting, when you get into a no-till system, a system that also uses cover crop and a higher biologically active soil, it takes longer to freeze. 
I've proven this time and time again between my fields and some of my next-door neighbor fields where you could actually very easily take a shovel and shovel into the ground at 20 degrees on a morning. You go over to a conventionally tilled field, and you couldn't even get the shovel in the ground at all. So that's just also a factor and a variable you have to be aware of. So if you're into this system, your options of doing this increase. So just to kind of reiterate here, ground is slightly frozen, but not frozen to the point where the colders will not penetrate. Tell you a quick story. Uh, and I'm just going to forward to the, the next picture here. Uh, I was already, one evening they, they said the temperatures to get down in the upper teens by next morning. And I thought that's going to be too cold. I won't be able to penetrate. So I started at 11 p.m. The temperature was dropping. It was like 28 degrees. And I planted for three hours to 2 a.m. And by 2 a.m., the colders were starting to come up out of the ground. They weren't going in. And it was kind of cool to be able to do that, actually. And you could kind of see it. They'd ride up a little bit, then they'd go down. Then when a couple of them are riding up, I quit because I was just putting seed on top. But that was kind of like the most cool time I ever did this. Uh, and, and, and it was just one of those nights, you know, you kind of like, uh, had to be, had to be there. And, and yeah, the cover crop grew later on in the spring. Very good, very good stand. So, uh, here's just a picture of that. And here, in this case here, had a little bit of snow came through. And, and you can go into a couple inches of snow, but that gets a little tricky then. How is the ground conditions and so forth? So, you really have to be your own judge if this is going to work or not. But the principle behind it is slightly frozen ground where you can still get the colders in and not mud up the planter because typically it's muddy. Now, if it is dry, then there's no real issues. Okay. So, uh, so that's why, that's why you want to kind of make, make that judgment call in, in what you, what you want to do. I've, I have never planted in more snow than you see here, which is a light dusting, but I know that some have. And, and I'll just remind us that this isn't going to happen every year, uh, but be ready for it if you want to get some more covers in the ground. I do have one caution, and, and that is you need to be careful for wet spots uh, because if you have a field that has wet spots in, that's not going to support you. And this is, a, this is just a picture here I wanted to show to illustrate this, that you're not going to be able to uh, to go through wet spots. So just a word of caution here, and, and you got to know your fields to know what they can take in the fall. Uh, but now I want to share a little bit more some of the species that I feel, and I have done, uh, planted them in December. And so on the left here are the ones what I'm calling little to no risk. Of course, Syria rides at the top. Uh, and then we have triticale, and I got to tell you, I have been very impressed at the toughness of triticale. There is, uh, but you need to have the right selection because there there can certainly be some variables in this. And uh, again, you're going to have to sort them out, sift them out to see which ones have the best cold tolerance. But don't forget to triticale. If that's something you're interested in, definitely uh, can do. Uh, Harry Vetch is the next one here that I've listed. Same there. There is a lot of variations among Harry Vetch in regards to winter hardiness. And believe me, there are a lot of selections out there. If you get a VNS Harry Vetch variety not stated, who knows what that is. And I would 
be very, very cautious at, at planting something that you're not sure has been uh, tested and approved, so to speak. And I'm uh, going to talk a little bit later about hairy vetch in that regard. But annual ryegrass, I would put that right up there with cereal rye almost at this time of year in December and into January as well. Uh, and that, that just the nature of the way the seed is, uh, every time I've done it, and it's not been very many times, just a handful of times, but annual ryegrass has come through, and I am aware of others. And I see uh, Dan Towers on the call here. I know he has experience with this. So when we're when I wrap it up here, we open up for questions. I want I want Dan to comment on that. The other thing is uh, on the other side there is the more of the low to medium risk, and this again uh, I would say needs more testing, but also you know, what amount of risk are you willing to accept? Obviously, we don't know what the weather will bring. And the ideal scenario is you plant it in December and it stays cold and it warms up the end of February, beginning of March, and it starts to grow. Well, what if you have a, a one-week, one ten-day warm spell, unusual warm spell that it germinates and starts growing and then it deep freezes again? This is where we tend to lose some of these other ones here that I've listed on the right-hand side. Now, I'm saying that uh, knowing that Phasalia is one that it's not very popular, but that's a tough little seed. And that one there, I feel, I put that at the top of the list because I'm the most confident in that. Uh, fava beans, it's kind of an unusual one because it is a big bean. You would not think it would work. And I'm gone heavily here on uh, in Europe where fava beans are, are very popular. They're in the top five of cover crops. And by the way, Phasalia is too over there. I'm going to have a topic here coming up on cover crops that I think need more attention, and these two are it. But fava beans, and they say you got to plant them two inches deep if you want to plant in the winter, if you can get them in. And even some guys say three inches so if you can get them in three inches deep, they're they're a big seed. They'll they'll push up out of there. So I'm going to mention that without personal experience, but also knowing others who have done it. Uh, spring oats I have listed here. The, pretty confident here in December. Once we get into January and February, absolutely, totally confident. Uh, I I put winter oats up here, and I'm going to have to say I'm testing winter oats the last two winters. It's worked for me. The last two winters, it's overwintered. Now, this year, I just planted some three weeks ago that hasn't come up, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, it's a winter oat called Cossack that's starting to draw some detention for uh, its, its uh, nice wide leaves. As a, it's a forage-type oat and used in the cover crop world. Uh, I listed oilseed rape here, and that may surprise some of you. Uh, and, again, I haven't sifted through the different oilseed rapes that are out there. Dwarf Essex is a variety that's probably the most popular. And I just know of some people who are who are using it. One of the reasons why I put it here is it's so cheap. I mean, literally a dollar or two an acre. And I know that it works sometimes. If you want a brassica in the mix, it's like, why not? It, it's a low risk, even if it doesn't grow. So mixing it with cereal rye, there's more people doing that now. Uh, oil seed rape, cereal rye, uh, it's late. Go ahead, just put it in. So with those caveats, that's where I'm at with oil seed rape. 
And of course, you guys know my history with radish. I always put radish in just to see what will happen. And when I planted radish in December, January, and February, it grew. Now, not every seed grows, but uh, I, I, just to be clear, I would, I would lean more toward all seed rape. But if you have a radish, some seed left over, or something you want to get rid of before the following year, you might want to think about putting that in. I would say I would not put it in in November, or maybe if you're in an area that's a little further south and you're not going to go into the deep freeze, radish might not be a good idea. It's like if you're going to be in the deep freeze, you can get it in. It will probably grow uh, next spring. So uh, that's just a little thought there on the species. Now I want to uh, get a little bit more specific here with uh, hairy vetch. And, and I'm coming from this from very personal experience. And I've grown hairy vetch for over 20 years myself, and I have been working on a variety and uh, at the risk of sounding like I'm tooting my own horn, uh, I want to say that I am uh, releasing a variety next uh, year. It'll probably be out and uh, license it to a seed company, and uh, it's Winter King. So one thing I know since I developed it here in Pennsylvania, it's very adept to multiple freeze-thaw cycles. So I'm very confident in that. What I'm not sure is how it can withstand Winter hardiness. Now, it has been tested in the upper Midwest, and it's looking good, but that will have to take a couple years of testing there. Uh, the other thing, too, is I am now involved with the USDA in testing some of their cultivars that are looking at late-planted hairy vetch. This is very exciting to me, and they asked me to join their project, and I'm actually right now, I have a plot here in my farm that has several of their best lines where they're at, comparing it to mine, and also a standard variety. Uh, we just planted our last planting here on November the 26th, I believe it was, uh, to, to see how these varieties perform. Uh, and I am not involved with the crimson clover part, but they're also looking at crimson clover for late planting. So it's exciting for me to be able to see now that there's I mean, there's concerted effort to try to get a later legume. And my goal, my personal goal, is to try to get a legume version of cereal rye. And as I stated at the beginning, the toughest month for that, for, for getting a cereal, or for getting a legume version of cereal rye, is the month of November for all the reasons I just stated. So I have been planting uh, uh, hairy vetch for uh, like every two weeks into December for, for years now and selecting uh, off of that. Uh, last year, I uh, planted, my latest planting was December the 10th and actually was dry. And you can see their conditions were like almost perfect, which is kind of rare, but it was. So uh, you just went right in there and, and, and planted it. Um, no big deal. It was just very late. Now, what happened next spring was that a lot of it survived. And here's a picture on May the 20th. Uh, you can see it was planted. This is the December 10th planting. Now, we had planted every two weeks, and when you get back to the middle of October, it was a thicker stand. Now, at this point of the year, May the 20th, it was growing. Now, I don't have a lot of series of slides here in this. The stuff that was planted the beginning of October was starting to bloom already. We, we did have a late spring this year, but so it was later. Um, so... 
again, it's not like, you know, everything is totally ideal here. But the fact of it is it did survive. And, yes, last winter was a relatively mild winter for us. Uh, so just – but but I've always had, always had uh, some survivors. And then when you take it a little bit longer, a few days longer, here's how that looked on um, – on June the 10th. Now, if you would have looked at that and said that was planted December the 10th, you just would have not believed it probably because that doesn't work. Now, I will tell you in comparison with other varieties and selections out there, this is really showing up good. They don't all do this. So that's why I'm going to back up now and just remind us that when you're trying to do some of this late planting, especially with a hairy vetch, you want to make sure that you have a, a variety. And, and believe me, there are some, like Purple Bounty, I would feel comfortable using that in December. That's a pretty popular one. You may work with some hairy vetches that you know are pretty winter hardy. I would try them. And again, please, if you're a farmer, if you're advising farmers, just do this on a small scale. We, we are nowhere near uh, uh, total, uh, you know, uh, guarantees here. And so just, just beware of that. But I'm excited about what we're starting to see now. I'm, I'm starting to talk about it. And that's, that's why I wanted to uh, mention it here today. So uh, just in review, you can plant in December. You won't be crazy, I don't think. <laughs> Your neighbors might think you are. Uh, cereal rye is always a safe bet. Annual ryegrass is a pretty safe bet now. Shreddy Kelly might be, if you have the right, you get the right hairy vetch. There's kind of the top ones. Uh, some of these other things are a little bit more of a wild card out there. But, you know, understand the risk doing this and then understand how to do it. To me, the key was the, the frozen ground thing where, where you have a night where it's, you know, either you plan to have the planter ready to go the next morning. If, they're, if it's not going to be too cold, like only down to 25 degrees Fahrenheit, you could probably start at the, the break of dawn in the morning and plant a field or two until it, it warms up, uh, which you're going to have to judge it. Or like what I did one time is I started at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so, so there again, you're going to have to figure that part out. But, of course, when the ground is frozen over, the, your, your, your disc and your gauge wheels and stuff won't get muddy if it's, uh, if it's frozen. So, um, so that's pretty much Oh, uh, where, where, uh, what I have to present today, I'm going to open it up now for everybody that can get on here. We can entertain some questions. Uh, and I guess, Dan, if you're still awake, uh, if you want to get on and comment a little bit about the annual ryegrass, uh, I would appreciate that because you've had more experience with that. So go ahead, Dan. Um, I was, oh, whoa. I, I just woke up. What? Oh, I what, know, what, I know. Well, that's why I gave you a little warning. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about so, planting annual ryegrass in December. Yes, yes, <laughs> and um, it works. Um, again, limited experience. Right. It's it's. Uh, I haven't gone out of my way to test it. I think I need to, but uh, I had some growers who went ahead and did it and. Some used the drill, just like what Steve talked about. Mm-hmm. I had one that we broadcasted it and got a stand. Really? Uh, yep. Okay. I, I I don't know if the freeze thaw worked just right. I mm-hmm. I 
So again, we need way more work on that, and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> but I don't know quite how to measure, you know, how many freeze thaw cycles that we had. Uh, uh, you know, it was it was in soybean stubble. Well, it worked as well in the corn stalks. Uh, don't know, but anyway, it was. We ended up with good stands. Uh, the one thing that Steve you didn't didn't talk about is is and again this is you know like here's this is picture I'm looking at right now is June tenth right right um, like annual ryegrass uh, it, it 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 definitely was lagging behind a little bit growth wise in the spring mm-hmm. and um, you know that's where it's the guys are planting corn, uh, you know, again, to, to get the benefits, I, I'd say, you know, probably need to, like with the annual ryegrass, let it grow until May, first of May at least. Oh, at least. At least. Uh, so, but this is part of the, you know, the balancing act that right. folks have to do to, yeah. uh, but, but again, is it going to be corn or is it going to be beans? Mm-hmm going into it so with the beans you know it's it typically we think that you know we can let it grow longer without without an issue yeah and i'm glad you you pointed that out this picture here represents very few of any of you here and what you can do now just my exception is i i grow pumpkins and squash this is perfect right here this is one of my plantings in the middle of june i'll roll this down it's perfect uh that being said if you do plant in the winter a cover crop, you want to push that field to the, the end of your planting, uh, and so so in order to give it time to grow. And I will say, yeah, uh, May into the end of May depends on, of course, the, sp- the spring weather and stuff. So, well, anyway, I see Dan Perkins is saying here that he's going to go out this afternoon and try it. So, Dan, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I appreciate that enthusiasm. And uh, is there any ideas you're thinking? What are you What are you thinking of planting? Annual ryegrass, or uh, if you're able to get on here, uh, wouldn't mind hearing what you're thinking. I see there's some other people on. Uh, okay, Dan's just saying here, annual ryegrass and some hairy vetch. Well, that'll be that'll be interesting to 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 see here. Um, so I see some others of you have your microphones turned on. Anyone else have any comments or questions on this uh, uh, wintertime planting of cover crops? Don, Don, Indiana. Uh, I, Dan brought up a little bit. I guess you talked pretty specifically about drilling everything. Yeah. But is there an opportunity to, to to broadcast it? And I typically talk to guys about a day that it's you know it's it's good and solid until about eleven o'clock when the yep. sun gets up straight up yep. overhead and then it gets crazy. Right. Okay. Is that an opportunity? You think if we could do that in December? I'm going to have to go totally on theory because I have never broadcasted. I'm just saying that the odds of success, I think, would have to be higher to drill it in. You're putting that seed out there. It's vulnerable for many, many weeks, uh, typically. Now, if there's snow most of the winter, then that may not be the case. Uh, I would say that seed is better served put in the ground. That being said, as Dan said, there was a time where, where it has worked. And I would say as you go through the winter now, if we talk about an opening in February, uh, then the freeze-thaw cycles, which are going to happen almost anywhere to a certain extent, 
can really aid you in germination at that time. I'm thinking right now, and this is theoretical, if you're in December, January time frame, I would want to see it in the ground. That's not to say it won't work, but it's about understanding your risk uh, and, and so forth. So that would be that would be my comment. Does, do you think that makes sense, or or what? What does yeah, that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. I agree. I think it. I think it would be better served in February than in December. Right. Yeah. Uh, John, I see John Johnson. I see you're on. I'm sure you'll be thinking about this. Or have you done this before? I have planted in December. In fact, I just finished Friday. Everything oh. <laughs> we're done now completely. All right. I have planted in snow, but not much snow. Only maybe an inch. Right. Uh, I had pictures, but I lost that phone, so I no longer have them. Okay. But it worked well. Okay. With a 15 mini John Deere drill. Right. Where, 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 where are you at? Uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. about 12 miles from Steve's place. Yep. Right. Yep. So this, I guess, this John, is Dan. go ahead, Dan. This is Dan LaFever from Central Virginia. Yep. On a very small scale, I broadcast seeded rye last year, the first week in January, and three weeks later it was up. Uh, I'm zone seven, but it had no snow cover at all last winter, and it survived. I don't know if it, the full amount came up and survived, but it, you know what did you know emerge? You know a fair amount of it did grow and come through. So Dan Perkins is asking how much did you say? Did you say Dan, Dan Lefevre here? To, man, we got three Dans in a row here. <laughs> Dan yeah. Lefevre from Virginia. Did you say you had some snow on it? We had no snow cover. No snow cover. We had one three-inch snow that lasted a day, and yeah. but it, but it still, you know, was relatively warm. It was warmer in, in January than in February, yeah. but it came up in three weeks' time. And that was cereal rye. Yeah, and broadcast. Okay, okay. Well, that I'm sure it can work. Um, Dan Perkins asks here on the chat uh, for. For zone five and north, I would think snowfall would be a factor towards success, and I would agree, um, just to kind of keep it protected. And I think that's a variable that we can't control. And I still, I still will say that that's you just need to understand the risk uh, until further prove me wrong. I guess, uh, and I know it's easier to broadcast and faster and cheaper and all that, but I think you're increasing your risk by just broadcasting. Now, if you're putting potash on anyway, that some do in the fall, maybe there again it's like, well, why not? Uh, might be that. So, um, uh, Dan, uh, uh, Don Donovan asks, why? What do you feel the wear and tear is in your drill when planting into semi-frozen ground? You know, it's not what a. It's not for me. I didn't. I, I didn't plant enough. I mean, I only planted like. One year I planted five acres, and another planet year I planted like twenty-five acres, and uh, I did a few other miscellaneous times. But I, I really didn't feel that it was hurting the drill, overwearing it. Uh, I would say it was less wear and tear than planting dry. Um, now there again, when it, as I indicated, when it got rock solid and it, the the disc was coming up out of the ground, yeah, that that you know obviously that's probably the heart. But I quit. I quit at that point. So. My answer to that, just purely observational, would be it's not as bad as going into dry, uh, extremely dry conditions where you're trying to utilize every ounce of that drill possible to get seed in the ground. 
Chris or Cliff, any of you, I see you have your microphones on. Any questions, comments? Yeah, Steve, this is Chris. Um, I was uh, uh, entertaining, you know, about the fava beans, mm -hmm. and uh, I know you said you did not have any experience, but mm -hmm. was wondering to know if uh, now would be a good time or wait until the January, February time yeah. you know, to try to get some of those in. Well, I have a few fava beans here. Uh, not many, and I'm, it's so few of some things I'm looking at with fava beans, I don't want to quote-unquote waste any. But I may just go out and hand plant a few in. Um, I just got a handful of seeds of some different varieties I'm trying just to see how this may work. So um, I would say that's for the guys who are really into this and want to try it. Uh, if you have the opportunity now, why not push the envelope and see what happens? That's kind of <laughs> the camp I fall in. Uh, but that being said, I agree with you, the later you wait, probably the better chance of success. But then it could be snowy all winter, and you don't have a chance till middle of March, too. So, um, yeah. So I guess that's, that's up to you, uh, Chris, what you want to do. I, I just know, I actually, when I was in France, and, and I will say, where where they're doing this in France, it doesn't get quite as cold. Uh, it, the, the temperatures are about the same in October and November, but it just doesn't get quite as cold in France. Uh, so so that's that's kind of where that's at in, in there. I, I, that has to be taken in mind. I don't know if they get frozen two to four to two. I don't know if it gets frozen that deep. Maybe the reason it was working because it didn't freeze quite that deep. I'm not sure. So that's just... I'm throwing some ideas out there that may be worth trying, and, and maybe in the two or three years from now we'll say, well, check that one off the list. That doesn't work. But with this group here, we're innovators. So we're, we're kind of the tip of the spear here. We need to try some of this stuff um, to, to see if it works or not. I see Dan's asking. Dan Perkins from uh, northern Indiana says, anyone experience with lentils? Uh, do we differentiate between December seeding and a frost seed February and March? Uh, at the very beginning, Dan, I don't think you were on. I mentioned uh, about I tried lentils in uh, in November once. Uh, it was actually in November, so maybe it was a little too early. And these lentils were proven to work in South Dakota. Uh, it, and my thinking was, and this, again, is at least 10 years ago, my thinking was, well, if they work in South Dakota, you better believe they're going to work in southeastern Pennsylvania. But they did not. In two years, they died, and they just didn't survive, I should say. They grew, but they didn't survive. And the theory was, what we came to the conclusion, was they weren't made to withstand multiple freeze-thaw cycles. And there's a difference in winter hardiness between the freeze-thaw cycles and also how simply how cold it gets and the wind chill factor. So I feel that I I live in an area that has some of the most freeze-thaw cycles of a winter on average, and that is definitely a dynamic that plays into this whole winter hardiness thing. So um, so Dan's asking here, too, in the chat, so seeding March the 1st or afterwards might work with lentils, and I would say, yeah, it probably will. Uh, I'm wondering, though, if peas aren't better. I guess I'm not familiar enough with lentils to know how prolific they are in the spring. I just know on March the 1st, my go-to cover crop would be peas. Uh, there's there's some that 
you know, you can get them in really early. But I, but for those of you who weren't on the very beginning, peas are not a good choice in December. Uh, they've never worked. I've tried it three or four times. I've thrown them in a mix, and they don't work. Um, they haven't worked for me anyway. So, Steve, this is Dan. Yeah. Um, let's, and again, differentiate this March 1, and I'll put that as in the category of, you know, uh, frost seeding, you know, mm-hmm. right before the last frost, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, maybe look at oats and yes. and in in that category, and spring oats versus winter oats. What's your question? What's your question? I just again is is I'm looking at especially somebody fairly new to cover yeah. crops of mm-hmm. uh, uh, didn't get. Much growth or any growth, mm-hmm. or maybe even didn't get it seeded. Yeah. Seeded, yeah. but is is that a more of a low risk if we we wait until that that March time frame? Um, I would say it is lower risk, with the exception of cereal rye. Uh, right now, I can say that with confidence. If I'm a farmer, wherever I'm at, and I can get cereal rye in the ground, I'm planting it today. If that presents, or whenever I can, because you never, you never know. You, you could have a spring that could preclude you from getting in there because of wetness until the middle of March. It just could happen, and then you could have uh, a couple weeks of, of, of decent growth out of a cereal rye during that time. Uh, so, I, I think I would approach it this way. And, and again, you know, it's, this is an innovative group here, so we're the we're the people who are trying stuff. Um, you know, I would I would not be afraid of of cereal rye now, but I would also be mixing in. I would start to mix in. I guess I'm just fleshing out your question here. I'd be mixing in some hairy vetch and some some annual ryegrass if you want that in your mix. Some uh, spring oats or winter oats with the cereal rye, because if nothing else, the cereal rye is going to work. But as you go into February and into March, now the you can't you can't go wrong with spring oats. You can't go wrong with peas uh, in in that late February, early early March. Now peas, obviously, you have to get in the ground. The smaller seeded stuff broadcasting may be okay at that time. Um, so uh, as the winter progresses and we go into spring, then your go-to crops are spring oats. See, I'll just I'll just say this: once I'm hitting January, and that's coming up pretty soon, by the way. I don't think I'm going to I'm I'm not going to use uh, cereal rye anymore. Uh, because then you're late enough it doesn't go through any vernalizations and it'll be it'll be kind of weak in the spring. But spring oats, if you can if if you can get it going and you get a good variety or forage type variety, it's going to it's going to really go to town when we start getting those first 50 degree days. So, um, that I don't know, does that make sense? Yep. So Dan Perkins is saying here so Let's list the top five covers to seed February and March 1st. And he's suggesting lentils, peas, spring oats, barley. I guess that might be spring. Yeah, spring barley. Uh, Pisalia. Um, and, and that's, that certainly is accurate there. Um, just trying to think here if there'd be any others, but you hit them there pretty much, Dan. That would be, that would be good. And we'll definitely cover that topic sometime in February, probably. 
uh, to discuss that. But, um, yeah, Phacelia, again, I'm going to bring it up again because I'm going to start promoting that more. We do have a seed issue of getting it at a decent price, but I think if there's more demand for it, we'll get it here. Uh, that is a wonderful one to plant early. It grows that that'll grow in very very cool uh, conditions. So I see Aaron mentions here from Nebraska that camellia and other mustards could work or would work, and I'm I'm familiar with uh, them and some mustards, and I agree. Uh, again, if we're talking mixes, yeah, putting the, putting some of them in uh, would would be a good idea. Um, so so go ahead. Steve, question question. Uh, when you put the list, I think you referred to oilseed grape. Yes, or canola. And and, and I, I always call it, just call it rape seed. Okay. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking the same thing, aren't we? Well, yeah. Um, yes, same thing, but there can be differences, and I won't go into all that right now, uh, because within the rapeseed, oilseed rape, and canola, they're all kind of in the same family. And some are used for oil, and some are used for other things, and some, like dwarf Essex, has kind of come out from among that category as being the one preferred for cover crops. So essentially, we're talking about the same thing, but it's like corn. When you say corn, is it, you know, we, we know there's all different kinds of varieties and types of corn, so it's kind of the same thing. So I've been probably using oil seed rape out of habit. <laughs> Uh, more so, uh, I, I am actually growing some rape as a cash crop that is for oil. So, uh, but it's good to cl- get that clarified. Um, so, I see that Dan he's already he's going to plant this after he's going to plant tomorrow, and he's also going to put a small trial out in February and March. So, way to go, Dan Perkins, uh, on that. Well, is there any more comments on this topic? I would like to open it up to any cover crop topic uh, here. We got a little out of our, our box here, but that's fine. Uh, is there is there any other question on planting cover crops in December? Any other ideas? So, go ahead. Well, the only the only challenge I have to it is, you know, we get these, you know, the weather is so unpredictable. Yeah. How many freeze thaw cycles? Yep. How much snow cover? Yep. And is it possible to actually track this to help help us figure out what works and what doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why we're bringing this topic up. So the more people who try it. Uh, the more we'll learn. And uh, to me, it's like everything in agriculture. There's so much about risk and understanding risk. And uh, from my perspective, this this topic, this uh, option, I'll say, is viable. And it will work in some areas in some years. So as more people try it and test it, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll learn and see if, if this is uh, – the cable being more widespread. My, my, uh, I guess my perspective is there's a lot of missed opportunity here, I think, uh, because there's always somewhere where this could be done in a given winter. Uh, so you need to be prepared for it, though, uh, because sometimes if a guy thinks he's done, he parks his drill on the back end of the machine shed and it's blocked in, even though the conditions are right, he's not going to do it. Or he doesn't know that there's any cover crop seed available to do it. You know, that's what I mean by being ready. 
And a lot of times our mindset is we're done harvest, too late to plant cover crops, I'm not doing it, when if you would have planned for it, you would have been able to get it in the ground. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, Dan. Yes, and what I'm saying is, uh, like, when we tried it, I really wasn't expecting it to work. So we tried it. I didn't track, you know, how many days were above freezing, how much snow cover we had, uh, what kind of wind, low wind chills that we had. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm at the end saying it worked. Yeah. But I can't quantify it. Yeah. Well, I think this, this is like interceding. It's kind of like, well, it seems to be working enough. Let's do it again. And, And then it's like, okay. Now, how can we figure this out to be able to maximize our management to it? And I think that's where we're at with this concept. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, I just want to mention next week, I'm going to wrap up the year uh, with uh, what I feel is the top 10 cover crop stories from 2017 and what you need to know for 2018. So that should be interesting. I started my list uh, already. And there's some that are obvious, some maybe not, but I'm looking forward to sharing that uh, uh, next week. And um, so I'll just, with that, just uh, open it up here for a few more minutes. We only got a couple more minutes. Is there any other cover crop question that any of you have that you'd like to bring up to the group? This is Dan LeFever again. This is more of an observation. I just went to the Acres USA conference and also traveled to visit my brothers in northern Indiana. I did not see any fields but one that possibly had a late rye cover crop coming up in it in northern Indiana. It was unbelievable that there was just no cover crops anywhere and even fall plowed open fields, you know, open to erosion. But, yeah, they're relatively flat fields, so it's not hilly country out there a lot of places. But the potential, you know, for cover crops and, you know, if you get people growing them, the potential for some of the farmers that know cover crops to grow seed for that is extreme. Right. You know, it would take a huge amount of seed just to seed all that stuff. Yeah. So that's, it may, may be a good place to start changing your crops and, you know, growing cover crops, which may be much higher value. Well, I tell you, Dan, that's a, that's a good observation, and um, I'm sure Dan Perkins and Dan Tower are probably jumping up and down in their seats right now because they're from that area or a little bit further west maybe. But I'll tell you, yeah. Indiana, Indiana has been uh, a leader in the Midwest in, in cover crops, but it just goes to show you how much potential is still out there. And I also say, uh, and I'll, I'll defend them a little bit this year, Got off to a late start and had a late harvest. So I think I would be correct that, and, and Dan Perkins or Dan Tower can chime in that other years you would have seen a little bit more green. But to your point, Dan Lefevre, uh, yeah, there is so much potential out there to, uh, to Im- improve. So I don't know if, uh, there's from India. Oh, you got Dan, Don Donovan as well from Indiana. So maybe you guys want to give a little perspective to someone who just drove through your state. Well, so, yeah, it, 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 you know, it depends on where you drive for one thing. And, uh, I mean, it's, uh, we do have a lot of cover crops, but we also had a late harvest. Right. And, and in fact, still got some 
fields that haven't been harvested. Mm-hmm. And it, it points out, I think, a little bit for the folks who are waiting until after harvest to see the cover crop. I, I've, I've talked to a few guys. There's, there's more cover crops that have been seeded, but there was some cereal rye that was planted very late and it's not up yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so not, now how much of that? I don't know. It, I mean, that's, that's one of the, the unknowns at this point in time. Uh, but, and I talked to guys in Iowa that have the same, I've talked to a few there that, yep, I got the cover planted. But it's not up yet, so so um, you know it's one of those. Uh, it's still good that it's 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 planted, but but again, I think it goes back to mm, at least getting more of the acres that we're not waiting until after harvest, just because of years like this. I think Don, yeah, was I've got that. I have stuff planted that hasn't come up just because we've had no moisture, basically, almost no rains this fall. Uh, Dan Perkins just mentioned here in the chat that three of his farmers just feeding, just finished seeding covers yesterday. So there is some still going on the ground. I think Don Donovan, you were going to comment there as well. Well, I mean, we have uh, we have about anywhere or about 1.2 to 1.3 million acres of cover crops in the state which is, is a lot of acres, but it's still probably only 10% of our cropland. Uh, I, I know I know of in my area where we had 3,000 acres about where we had a major problem with locally grown rye, but uh, we had a serious germination issue that it just didn't flat come up. So, uh, you know, there's all kinds of issues, but we've all got, we, no matter how much we got, until every acre is cover crop, we've got a long ways to go. So. Yep. Any other question? That uh, that you've been uh, wanting to ask the group. I see Dan Perkins ask here. Can someone explain open versus closed pollen types in relation to uh, roller crimping? Um, I don't know if anyone wants to tackle that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, Dan, what you mean on that open pollen versus closed pollen. Uh, I'll just mention that I know triticale sheds less pollen than cereal rye which can be a benefit in roller crimping, but I'm not sure if that's what you're after there. Um, but I do know that uh, if Andy is still on from Alberta, he grows some of these these types of crops for cover crops. And So I don't know, Dan, if you can just uh, explain a little bit more there what you're asking, or maybe, Andy, if you're still on, if maybe you understand the question. Uh, open versus closed pollen types. Um, or anyone else? Uh, yeah, Steve, I uh, I don't really understand the question other than that um, with with cereal rye, it's it's an open pollinated crop, which means that it has to pollinate um, the flowers on its own, and that's what the, the pollen is and mm-hmm. that you see lots of times. You see lots of flowers. Mm-hmm. Triticale and spring wheat, well, and winter wheat, I think rye is almost the only cereal other than corn mm-hmm. that that needs to be pollinated. Otherwise, they're self, self-pollinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's helpful. Okay, just maybe one more question. Anybody have a que- another question you want to ask while we're on this webinar? Anybody at all? Steve, 
I'd like to give you some input from a presenter at the Acres Conference for next week about cover crop, some really innovative research that's being worked with in Australia, but it was actually developed here by NRCS in Montana or Idaho, but I just I need to get a little bit more about it before I, I get to you with it, you know, so you could maybe include that next week. Hey, if you want to email me or whatever, Dan, that would be awesome. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay, everybody, thanks for your good uh, um, enthusiasm here and your participation. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> so uh, next week we'll be kind of kind of a year in review type and plan to take two weeks off uh, over the Christmas and New Year's season. But uh, it's been really fun uh, uh, doing this this year. I'm looking forward to next year. But thanks a lot for your support. It was good seeing you some over this past uh, week, and uh, hope our paths will cross soon again. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Okay.